This week's Performance Anxiety features Jordan Zedorozny of Blinker the Star and Kelly Scott from Failure and Blinker the Star. This week we talk about the music the two of them have made together, uh, including some spins with Lindsey Buckingham. We also talk about Kelly's uncomfortable knowledge of John Entwistle and Janie Lane. We also talk about UFC and some obscure engineering trivia. So please enjoy this week's Performance Anxiety with Kelly Scott and Jordan Zedarosny. This is Jordan Zadarazzi from Blink of the Star. Kelly Scott of the band Failure, and you're listening to Performance Anxiety. Oh, man. You're not allowed to make a mistake. Right. Oh, It'd man. like me erasing the first half of your new record. As a, uh, <laughs> well, you know that story of Led Zeppelin 2 where the kid was in there? They had some kid in there engineering for Jimmy Page. No, it was Led Zeppelin 3. The beginning of uh, high in the middle of the night, come on, man. <laughs> celebration day, right? Celebration day, yeah. It sounds like a weird place to come in because there was a couple bars before that. Crossfade out of friends, celebration day. The kid engineer guy erased the first couple bars, and you know what he did, or anyone knew. He got up, left the room, and he was never heard from again. He never like reappeared in the industry. And any guys walked out the door, and he's like, "I'm done." Wow. Well, he was right. He was right. Anyone ever give his name? No, I I don't know. It's in a couple of books. Funny story. Who uh, a really good friend of mine is uh, 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 this guy Evan Johns. He's Andy Johns. Of course, yeah. Oh, okay. Jimmy Bailey introduced me to him at Largo. Yeah, he would probably know. Yeah. Oh, oh man. Ethan, Ethan is the one. He's Glenn's son. I know. Producer, musician guy. I know. Then there, there's Evan, who's Andy's son. Oh, crazy! Who, who, who did all their records? The, who the, produced the, the was like first couple. Um, all these bands. Which one was it? The- all these bands would hire Glenn and doing their drugs and getting fucked up and be really unreliable. So they would basically get rid of Glenn and hire Andy to do all the other stuff. <laughs> Andy fucking partied. Andy actually died five years ago, still partying. Yeah. Quite remember, different remember, than his brother. Remember the day Entwistle died? Did I ever Man. tell you about how I used to have to call him about jerking off? That's what I was thinking about. No, well, you've never told me this. So <laughs> I, I, my first jobs in LA was uh, uh, basically like a quality assurance. Like people, when they call those uh, sex lines, I the next day would have to call them back, like really sensitively, and verify the credit card, make sure it was them. Yeah, that used <laughs> yeah. their credit card, and it was usually their kid, or <laughs> it was lost or stolen, or their wife would pick up the phone. And grill me on what this was about, and I couldn't tell them. But oh. I would have time was living in Hawaii, so he was in a completely different time zone. So I'd have to call him at the same time every, <laughs> every day. <laughs> you know, sure that it was him jerking off on his credit card, and, yeah. and really mm. nice, and really just like, yep, yep, yep. <laughs> <laughs> this is already my favorite show. The yeah. dark ages before porn was accessible. Oh, oh man. <laughs> Analog days. <laughs> analog days of porn. Analog, analog <laughs> telephone porn. See, that, that's an album name for you right there. The analog days of porn. That's it. 
I like Pink Whistle. The good. Yeah. <laughs> the first song is on my phone. Well, the best was um, about two or three years later. The Who did a studio album. Okay, I was reading this interview with Pete Townsend at the time. Interviewer asked Pete, um, "Was was John Entwistle missed on making this album?" Sadly, no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> man, they're mean. They're mean to each other, aren't they? A lot of those guys from those from those old bands are pretty angry towards each other. I don't know what's, yeah. what well, happened. And their families. I think they always were. Like, they're yeah. sort of, you know, the, the English fans came, were, were so class dudes, like, trying to fight their way into the club scene, fight with the band, because it's like you had to get one tiny step up. They're still fighting. And they're like, Ben Fleetwood back. They're not, like, Lindsay oh. gets kicked out of Fleetwood now. is it takes two guys to replace him. That's insane. Yeah. I love, like, I think it's ridiculous being the biggest Lindsay fan in the world, but at the same time, I love that there's still drama. Like, there's still still care enough to fight. It's still just not a paycheck. There's still egos, like... Yep. Well, and the Davies, the Davies brothers are the same way. They won't get together in the same room. They can't do it. That's crazy. It. So, so, Jordan, how do you work with Lindsay? How did that all come about? Um, August Everywhere was made. I went out for lunch with Lenny Warner. And they wanted to do another record. We loved it. Let's do another one. So went out for lunch, and he said, out of all the people that I know, I want to work with. And that guy knows everybody. I just thought Prince wouldn't show up. So I said, Lindsey Buckingham. And he said, okay, I'll, uh, I'll give him a call next week. He hasn't been over to the DreamWorks offices yet. Now, he ran into him in a restaurant that weekend. You're actually leaving out the best part. I seem to recall that we were on tour, and uh-huh. we got a care package to the hotel desk. Yeah. It was Lindsay basically demoing. It was, it was like two of the songs. Yeah. Just like so guitar, Lindsay took playing the drums on the side of the acoustic. <laughs> I still I have them on my hard drive right now. I can play yeah. it in two seconds. Yeah, Lindsay took, um, I did two demos at home, demoed them himself. Wow. And it was like, that was oh. the trip to think of that. That was crazy. It that's, sounded like Tusk. Oh, wow. Doing Blink of the Star songs. Like it was. That's amazing. I mean, that's. Yeah. I, I've never heard of anything like that before. I mean, yeah, well, he's a studio nut. So that was his first, like, in, first of all, like, sort of internalize it and then regurgitate it. You know, like, remember that song Moon Addict we had? Lindsay, like, immediately. Like, One where we slowed down the drums or something? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> and I remember Lindsay, you and Lindsay for hours were holding up yeah, um, kick, naked kick drums. And flicking them with your finger, and they had like U87s. Like you'd have to do it like 30 times to make it go. Yeah, and sound like a timpani kind of. Exactly. And I was just, you guys were taking three hours. TV started doing drugs. Meanwhile, fucked <laughs> heroin the whole time. <laughs> oh, I was smoking weed in the other room. You guys were, you guys were recording. I was yeah. like, ugh. <laughs> <laughs> well, the- that was a long day. So th- those were the songs that ended up, uh, a couple of them being on Still in Rome. Am I correct? Yeah. Well, the, the most significant thing that happened was A Nest for Two eventually made it into, Mike Friedman got it in a film, basically. Okay. And it was the last, it was like in the last era of where they actually made the soundtrack Nest for Two. That was the real Fleetwood Mackie one. Oh, see, that's, that's awesome because that's now something I have to hunt down because I wasn't aware of that one. Yeah. And then uh, he, he was on a Flex Your Little Claws Oh, yeah. So that was part two was when we were doing Still in Rome in L.A. I hired that Robbie Adams cat. 
That was probably really high for that. <laughs> you were doing drums for Girl in America at yeah. Metal Studios. Like Icon, it was called. Icon. Yeah. Out in Burbank? No, it was right in Hollywood, right near your old place on Poinsettia. See, I knew there was some stuff that I forgot. But disclaimer, during that period and a couple years longer than that, I was pretty fucking wasted. So memory might be spotty, but I you got to listen to Girl in America again because you played the shit out of it. on awesome. of those records? Girl in America ended up on an album way later in 2013. Oh. Wait, wait, that's your album and you don't know how to pronounce the title? No, I don't. They're still saying it. They need to revise stuff. They'll die about it. Disclaimer, though, I haven't done drugs in 14 years. That's a disclaimer. I don't know. (laughs) Mark, what was your original question? I've forgotten. Um... Oh, we were just talking about how you met up with Lindsay and how, how that whole relationship got started because he appears on at least two albums of Blink of the Star. And okay, so then, yeah, so so um, Kelly and I did like part of Still in Rome up in Pembroke in the winter. Then we took those tracks down to L.A. and I hired this engineer to finish up a, a few tracks. Also, I had the run of John Fields, a producer. So there was kind of sessions happening all summer. While I was there, I got... Uh, Andy Sturmer plays drums on because I was next door and Field said hey I got the drum set up do you want Sturmer to play a track okay (laughs) (laughs) and Lindsay came in and played on that one and Flex Your Little Claws which Kelly you videotaped and I have it that's the videotape of Lindsay playing the guitar solo on that song yeah set it up in the corner so he wouldn't notice Uh, oh I remember that yeah yeah, I've seen that. I actually uh, ripped that off of YouTube. I have the audio of that myself because uh, that was just so damn cool. Oh, just a solo? Like, yeah. Yep. It's cool, eh? He's playing my black guitar, the, the Les Paul. Yes. He made me really uncomfortable with his tell me what to do all the time. I know. <laughs> Be lazy. Play something. That's why we yeah. brought you in. I wanted, I wanted to sound like you. Well, it's definitely sweet. Like that whole thing, uh, never meet your idols. Yeah. He's not part of that. Oh, like, that's no. Cool. He Such will live cool up guy. expectations. Such a cool guy. Yeah. So speaking of him not charging you guys, I noticed, uh, Kelly, on your website that people can send music to you and you'll play drums on whatever they send to you. Yeah. So if I record the biggest piece of shit and yep. email it over to you, I can have the drummer for failure on my piece of shit tune. I will make one section of that piece of shit, not a piece of shit. That's awesome. <laughs> All right. I may have, I'm going to have to start a GoFundMe for that because yeah. – I can't afford you, but I'm going to try to figure that out how to do that. Well, no, I don't know. My prices are pretty fair. Oh, your, your prices are good. I'm just really poor. <laughs> so I, I, I'm not arguing that point. I think your price is actually quite reasonable. I just think that I have no money. So, uh, <laughs> so you, Kelly, you've worked with some pretty amazing people. Um, I was looking at a list here and 
so you've worked obviously with failure. Yeah. Uh, you've also worked with Christina Aguilera, Linda yeah. Perry's sessions, uh, Pink, James Blunt, Optimar, Veruca Salt, Katie Tunstall, Scissor Sisters, Dr. Dre. Scissor Sisters? Yeah. Uh, oh, Actually, a lot of that stuff is I was Linda Perry's session drummer for like seven I years. Wow. So all of those records that I did, the Scissor Sisters, Christina, Pink, uh, uh, KT. Faith um, Hill. Party of that stuff was Faith Hill, um, Dixie Chicks. Like, all of that was in her. I would go out there five days a week and play on the record. Cool. Wow. Man, that's amazing. That was a pretty mind-blowing gig. That's a fun life. Well, I, I'm a huge Linda Perry fan. I have been since Four Non Blondes, and I was always disappointed they never came out with it with that second album they started. But they uh, tried. It didn't work out. No, no. Unfortunately, I got a chance to see them live at the Stone Pony back uh, what Whoa. early mid '90s, something like that. So that was really awesome. Things, uh, uh, I think, things change a little bit when you've got one person in the band that's famous. Uh, others sort of uh, need to do it for whatever reason more. There's yeah. a lot of a lot of disagreements, a lot of resentment, a lot of uh, jealousy. Yeah, yeah. Well, I heard, I heard, uh, and this is the, the thing about YouTube is you can find anything on it. And if, I've seen some sessions from that second album, and some of those songs went on to become her solo, her first solo album. Yeah, and uh, yeah. That, that was a great album. I, I thought that was really underrated. There was some cool stuff on there. She did that with uh, uh, an old friend of hers from San Francisco that has this cool band from the desert. They're like kind of the precursor to. Uh, Queens of the Stone Age and all that stuff. They're like the guys that they look up to. They were, uh, um, them and Goss came up together. Okay. Oh, cool. Um, what are they called? Uh, they have kind of a funny, weird name. Um, Where were they from? Uh, they were from the desert. Him and okay. became friends up in San Francisco. He lived up there for a time, but he's the drummer for this band, this desert band. Mm-hmm. Um, the two of them did that solo record together. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That was when I, I looked at the, your list of credits and I thought, oh, it's funny because when I think of uh, of your work, I think mainly of failure and, and blinker, and I don't, I didn't really yeah. think of you as a, and I guess maybe just because I didn't really know, I didn't think of you as a yeah. session drummer, and uh, it, it there's so many different styles here. Is it difficult to switch from one to another depending on what session you're doing? I mean, it it definitely, on my part, it took a little bit of, there was definitely a learning curve to get out of being just a rock drummer um, and being able to play, you know, just a lot softer and sometimes more intricate and more studio-y. Studio-y and live is completely different. Oh, okay. Uh, So that took a little bit of time to develop. Um. I could always play different styles of music. Um, it just took a little time to develop not playing them hard. Did that work well for uh, doing the sessions with Dre? Um, Dre's was really easy. His session was actually for that record that just came out. Me and a 72-piece orchestra did uh, uh, A Change Is Gonna Come. You know that old Sam Cooke tune? Yeah, yeah. Is yeah. the engineer that originally engineered that at Capitol in the big Whoa. room. Wow. Um, 
And basically, it was like the first minute, 30 seconds of that. It was literally the, the session time was booked for 45 minutes. So you had to set up, and we ran through it like once or twice, and the session was over. Wow. Yeah. Old school. There's actually, you know that movie that they just made? Uh, uh, Dre and uh, Jimmy Iovine? The one that was on Oh, yeah. Movie? Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a five-part series, so I'm watching the whole thing. And on the fifth day, the very last scene, video camera go into the Capitol building and there's the orchestra and it's going to the left side of the orchestra and it's almost to me and it ends right there. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. course. That's the story of my life. Almost. I've heard that that a few times. That's uh, the story of my life too. I almost did something with it, but... We'll get there one of these days. I'm, I'm the anonymous. <laughs> well, well, not too much. Not to, all right, not to guys like me because uh, – and here's – this is what I thought was really cool. I was a big failure fan back in the early 90s. I love I – I started off with Magnified, and uh, I, I'm a completist. So if I get a record I like, I'm going to find whatever – whoever was involved in it, and I'm going to go find everything that they've done. And so I, became, I, was, I was a huge failure fan. So I, I saw that it was Ken, Greg, and you. And I was like, all right, these guys are really good. And I would go to this, uh, this record store, and I would just start, I'd be there for hours looking at records. And I, put, I picked up uh, Bourgeois Kitten by Blinker, and I said, you know, that sounds familiar for some reason. I'm not really sure why. And I picked it up. I, I picked it up and it was my first hi hat credit. <laughs> I, that, well, that's I the thing. My only hi hat credit. I flipped it over and I and I saw the credits. Uh, gosh, it may have even been an open copy. Uh, I just opened it and started looking through the credits, and I saw Ken Andrews and Kelly Scott. And I'm like, all right, I'm getting it. And that's how hey, it became Greg, a. That's played how, on that also. Yeah, Ken, played drums. Greg played on it too. But I think, drums. I think he played drums. That's may, that's maybe I don't. Yeah, Jordan seems to be frozen here. Oh, my, my hand's enormous. Uh, well, anyway, that's that's uh, that's how I became a Blinker fan. Oh, we lost oh. we lost him. Yeah. All right. It's just now getting internet. They haven't worked out all the things <laughs> talking about sports. Not at all. Good. <laughs> that's that's my I other. I, I like UFC. Oh really? Yeah, I'm a I, big UFC fan. Man, we should have you on uh, our other show when we when we uh... watch the fights last night. Do you watch the fights at all? No, I, I haven't gotten into it. It's uh, uh, I got dude. Yes, I'm still. Those guys are going in there and killing each other for a couple grand. Jeez. Oh, hey. Like, to me, that's what sports is about. You're out there, like, swinging at a ball or throwing a ball, and you're wearing fucking 50 pounds of gold chains. <laughs> hey, can you guys hear me? Well, I can yeah. hear you. I can't see you, yeah, but I can video, hear you. Video isn't on. Oh, what do I have to do? Is there a button? Uh, yeah, yeah, there's a just, yeah. Talk to my there QA guy. There we go. Woo. Yeah, stay uh, in the back. 
that your my screen because it's a double screen it's chopping your head off and it's freaking me out <laughs> yeah, it's like dirty deeds or something oh yeah there I we got go my, i got my tom socks on today i've been really into these well we were just talking mma so uh so uh, oh so when you got cut off jordan we were talking about didn't greg play drums or something on bourgeois kitten yeah, it was Ken's idea. I think Ken was like, I might have said like, oh, I want it to be like my bloody Valentine or something. And he's like, Greg was a little out of shape though on the drums. I yeah. remember like. But how did you meet up with Ken and everybody in failure? Mike Friedman. Yeah, Michael Friedman. He uh, was Jordan's manager at the time. We were up in Canada in the early 90s with Tool. And uh, him and Melissa Oftemeyer came down to the show. And we hung out, like went to a party at his place. Um, and uh, yeah, him and Ken stayed in touch. And when he started working with Jordan, um, he gave a ring and, and asked if he wanted to work with you. I remember we went and saw Jordan. They were coming into town. They played the whiskey and we all went down and saw him. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> well, yeah, we were, all, we were all pretty young and innocent back then. Back then. Yeah. It all worked. <laughs> we all were, no. It feels like you were. But I remember that night very, very well. I, I remember um, coming up because Mike, my manager, gave Ken a cassette of for the demos of the first album or, or the first album, the first Blinker album. Ken was like, oh, yeah, this is cool. I can get into it. But when we came out to L.A., these guys were all at the show. All the failure guys and Dave Diamond hung out and then... Someone suggested, well, why don't you go in the studio and do a demo? Okay. So we went up to North Hollywood with the touring band. Remember, it was the same place Lee Aaron had worked in. We were like, oh, cool. But that's how we all met. And then within a um, year, I was out there recording. And at the Oakwoods, yeah. <laughs> you remember Michael Blue? Of course, yeah. Michael Blue stayed up there. And we used to take those big uh, mirrored doors off of the clock, weird Australian guy that would bring up mounds of coke and we would make these lines, these six and a half foot lines from one end of the mirror to the other. And we'd take, you know, the cardboard piece that keeps your hanger straight on the bottom? Yeah. <laughs> I remember that show. You guys were, you guys did the show at the um, Viper Room. Yeah. A room uh, full of models, I remember. A room yeah, they bust in. Oh. His wife owned uh this like uh, hoity-toity uh, clothing company, St. John's, and she modeled and rented a bus and modeled in all of these gals that worked for her. Bought us all these like three-piece suits and pocket watches. And he was putting the bill for everything. Like, yeah. remember, remember his it's album? My idea. <laughs> I was like, we gotta look like we've already made it. Look and act like you've made it, and the ascension will be quick and easy. But he writes, he's written a bunch of massive hits for people. Oh, I'm not surprised. He owns Fleetwood Mac's old studio out in the valley, out in Ventura. Uh, the not, one that uh, the owns. Rumbo. No, the one their manager owns. Oh, okay. Um, uh, called, uh, anyway, he bought that place, like writes Colby Collette and like all the, you know, not top, but he's he's had a few number one or top ten hits over the last yeah. few years. 
I just remember going to parties with him and draw wasted, but like the acoustic guitar would, would come out. Michael Blue could play any Paul McCartney and or Wings song, start to finish perfectly on the acoustic guitar and sing it perfectly. Oh, like yeah. any obscure wing song, like Arrow <laughs> Through Me or whatever, whatever you could throw at him, he, just, he could do it. And squeeze. Exactly, yeah. He knew his serious English pop, that's for sure. Yeah. Wow. Didn't he meet her when he was like playing in the pub in Aspen? No, he had a job. Oh, actually, yes, I think yeah. he did. He was um, just playing. He was just an English guy. Yeah. And he meets Miss World. <laughs> and then she bought him a house with a Les Paul-shaped pool. Oh, jeez. I remember he would show up at the Wilton house, you know, this, like, sort of rundown, hot ragtag house of Hollywood misfits that, you know, everyone's got, like, 200 bucks. Innocently enough, he'd just go, hey, who wants to see my car? It's fucking awesome. Like, <laughs> like a kid. It was so great. It was like, he wasn't even showing off. He was just in a good mood. He was enthusiastic. All right, so failure. Let's go back to failure for a second. Failure put out. Well, the first album was really good, but the, but Magnified and Fantastic Planet were incredible. And then you guys took a, an enormous hiatus. Woke up for a very long time. <laughs> yeah. So, what was the impetus for getting back together? How did that all happen? Uh, Ken and Greg had children, and they started hanging out again. Oh, usually, that breaks bands up. I think <laughs> they had children during the breakup. Okay. <laughs> and, and they're, they don't have a whole lot of like close friends. I mean, I suppose I don't really have that many close friends anymore either, but in general, they didn't have a whole lot of close friends and they were both having children at the same time. And you know, it's a new and scary thing yeah. for people. I hear, I don't know. I, I have dogs. Oh, it is. It is. I can imagine it can be. <laughs> I've, got, I've got three, 13, 14, and 15. Yeah. So, they, I mean, they just started hanging out and doing play dates. And, you know, I think probably three or four years into that, Greg just said, you know, hey, you want to write music together. So they started writing. And about six months later, they decided that the writing was turning in something, into something. And Ken called me. It was like, hey, and give me the background. You know, I don't, I don't know if you know this. And Greg and I have been hanging out for a while, and we've been writing some songs, and want to do an EP, or still didn't really know what could have been done with it. Right. Um, but as soon as I entered and we recorded the first five songs, other people found out, and they were like, "You got to make a record. I'll be your manager." And then touring, and you know, it just kind of snowballed, and we more or less went with it. guys are recording um are the songs and i guess it's mainly more for you kelly are the songs pretty much completed and they tell you what to do or they saying all right just here's what we've got do what feels the, right the, the music for the most part is completed sometimes depending on something i do there may be uh, an arrangement change but uh uh when they give me the demos obviously there's program drums on there definitely a guideline okay um you know, sometimes it's pretty close to, like, what I would actually play. 
Um, but no, there's there's no one going, hey, you got to play this or you got to play that. Do you get like um, a, a writing credit for that kind of stuff? The song, it sounds like a song. You know, it's not like I'm going, oh, my God, why did they program this? I have to go about like rewriting a bunch of stuff. Okay. Um, I just more or less play it the way I would play it like a drummer. So do you get writing credits for stuff like that? or? Yeah. That's well. That's well, good. I, I know. I, I've been looking at. I look at old credits, and you look at uh, like uh, I don't know Beatles stuff, and you see, and it's all Lennon McCartney, Lennon McCartney, and you know Ringo had to work on some of that stuff and make it make the drums his own, but he didn't get any writing credits. So I'm just wondering if that's a common practice. You know, I I don't know how it worked in the Beatles, but I imagine Ringo may have been told what to play quite often. <laughs> Ringo's just a puppet. I, I, I agree with you. He still should have gotten some publishing because he's Ringo fucking star. Yeah. And nobody else, just by him playing on those records, the way he played, they become a Beatles song instead of uh, John Lennon or Paul McCartney's solo album. So I'm, I'm more of like the Led Zeppelin school where when you look at one of their records, like everyone gets credit. Yeah. That's- Even though, you know, Page writes the song, but then they jam it out and arrange it. And yeah, like they give they give Bonham a, a songwriting credit on Cashmere just because Groove was so integral to the whole vibe of the track. <laughs> Honestly, in the previous incarnation of Failure, I going back to like we were green and didn't really know. I didn't know that I was supposed to ask for credit. I was just very happy to be where I was. Okay, so I, so I didn't realize that would be something you would have to. Ask for, I guess I never thought of it that way. Well, when you're when you join an already established band that already has two writers in the band, and that's kind of how they've been doing everything for several years. Um, yeah, at some point you kind of have to speak up and ask for it. I guess I want to ask Jordan of, of this, this question here. How, at, at what point you you put out some some really great albums, uh, especially the, the last one, Eight of Hearts. That's a that's a fantastic album. about recording i mean is it is it just you are you pulling people in um and uh, at what point do you realize it's ready it's enough, especially when because blink of the star for most for all intents and purposes is you so yeah i mean i imagine if it was me i could i would be working on it and working on it i could i could go through the entire thing and never actually finish it because i would always be working on on one album how do you get to the point where you say it's done i got it. it's it's i'm releasing it well, let, let me just give you the most recent example. Today, I finished a song. I started it six months ago. So it just sort of like gets to a point where it only takes one or two nights work where you sort of have like everything else comes out really quickly. And then I just mix. It was just I'm not um, I mean, I'm fussy, but that's one thing I don't have a problem with is knowing when something's done. And how how has recording and and making music and and even selling it changed since you guys started in the early 90s? Well, it's completely different. Um, I think we've all kind of like took a bigger hand in the business part of it nowadays because, you know, there's less to go around. So you basically got to really get it. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, the business is totally different. I'm I'm sort of more self-sufficient. 
you know, it's more boutique and handcrafted and in the end thing that you did all the artwork and the mastering all kind of done in a smaller scale, but to more exacting standards, you know, there's not like, you know, I, the mastering guy's not going to fuck up the album. And you, you produce a, a lot of other people's albums at this point, right? That's what I do for a living. That's what I do every day. Kelly, how failure is coming out with a new album. I heard uh, when you guys were recording Fantastic Planet, you you focused on one song at a time. The last record like that also. Oh. We just locked ourselves away for six months, wrote and recorded the entire record, and then released with a video. So this album is coming out as a bunch of separate EPs, the LP5, Yeah, because right? uh, last year when we got together, everybody had so much stuff going on. Like, I've just started working. Um, my, uh, uh, my wife was working up until last year, and uh, her job went away. And I was just kind of like, well, why don't you, I mean, I can't imagine what it would be like to love something and always have to work a nine to five job and never really get a chance wholeheartedly. Oh, I can tell you exactly what that's like. (laughs) Stepped up. I had an opportunity to get this job and, you know, it was for the both of us. So I was doing that and Ken had some stuff going on and Greg just had a baby um, so we were all in different places in our life so much so that we weren't going to be able to just lock ourselves away somewhere for six months. Right. So this way we decided to kind of do it more like what magnified was done where we would take four songs at a time, mm. Ken and Greg would build them and write them. And then we book a live room and record the drums in a day. And then we would release them in sections like that. We started with coming up with uh, the, the concept is we came up with the entire album artwork uh, in a way that we could split the artwork up into four pieces. So each release has a section of the artwork, a section of the title, and a section of the music. Whoa. When you put them all together, you get an entire record. The fourth installation obviously being the physical record with the physical and completed artwork and title. So there'll be a finished track listing of all 12 or whatever songs. Yeah. Yeah. And all the, each EP has its own artwork. So when you put the, all, all four of them together, you see the full album artwork Um, with some stuff filled in that you only see if you have the albums and it like builds an entire picture. My next question for you is I've looked at some of the old videos uh, from failure. Is it hard to drum in a button down shirt? Um, uh, what, what video is that? Oh, shoot. I was watching it yesterday. I got to remember which one it was. I'm not sure. Sh- uh, I have to, oh, I can pull it up, but. It's stuck on, that's one of the only videos where I'm wearing clothing. <laughs> yeah, you guys had a, you guys had a clothing person on set. Kelly's not wearing that to the bar. Yeah. <laughs> it was fine for a video. I would never play something like that live because just from all the sweat. 
it winds up becoming like four to five pounds heavier. So by the time you're 30 minutes into a set, you're like plugging around all this, you know, I think, they, I think they had you in a button up too on the below the sliding doors video we did in Vancouver. Yeah, that video was so cool. See, that's so cool. I know you look great in that. I we did that. Did. <laughs> and they were like, wait a minute, we got that. That was cool. That was the best shot of the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, I've, I've, I was watching uh, the DVD of Golden the other day. And uh, the one thing I noticed is that you guys do some great uh, behind the scenes work. Greg doesn't say a whole lot. There was a. Uh, there's a video where he's supposed to be doing commentary and uh, it starts off with, yeah, this is uh, the video. And it may have been stuck on you. Or this is the video yeah. for stuck on you. And then five minutes later, he's like, I hope you enjoyed that. And that was just, <laughs> that's the humor. That was that's pretty great. much it. That was all. That's, that's definitely part of it. Is there, is there a lot of humor in failure? Cause it doesn't always come across, you know, Ken seems to be, and, and Greg both seem to be very serious. I, I think I think in general, as a group, we're definitely more comfortable with all sides of our personality as a group. Um, there are unfortunately not a lot of um, they get to see the side where, like, you know, Greg doesn't talk much. You know, it, it's it, it depends on where and who he's with. You know, there are moments where you can start talking to him get on a subject that he cares about, he won't shut up. Yeah, I've seen that. It's the same way. It's, it's just a matter they they um like, I'm really easily induced. Now, I grew up moving around a lot, so, like, making friends really quickly part of my DNA. Right. And, you know, they're, they're a little bit more, um, I don't even know, I don't, I don't even know what the word, what's the word for that? A little bit more word. reserved? Discerning. Discerning, okay. Circumspect. Circumspect. Ooh. Yeah, that's, that's a good word. Also, I mean, there's also a little bit of like, especially for something like that, it's kind of weird. And like looking at a video and you're supposed to record dial. I mean, that's kind of weird. That'll, that'll take talk right out of you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it can be weird for sure. That's true. So, uh, Kelly, how do you know Janie Lane? Or how did you know him? Um, I, when I first moved to L.A. Um, in like the late 80s, my older brother and I, I um, because when I moved out here, obviously I didn't know anybody. Um, and somehow we got this weird job where I wound up delivering drugs for like one of the biggest drug dealers in the Valley. <laughs> you have to apply for that or... No, I just, I stumbled into it through my brother. <laughs> okay. Um, we met a guy, and through that guy, we met a guy, and that happened to be the guy. And I needed a job, and I was like, yeah, sure, it's great money. So I would take uh, uh, the Coke down to the Sunset Strip, and because I had all this Coke, that's how I would meet people. <laughs> hey, you know, it works. Less, and I mean, that's sort of how I built, like, you know, my little got into, yeah, I play drums and let's jam and let's do that. And, you know, people talk to people and, you know, all of a sudden you start getting into bands and that drums and Coke. I'm perfect for yeah. you guys. But he, he, at the time I was going out with this girl, I didn't actually know him. Um, but the reason I was at the rainbow, um, and he was there, I also had this girlfriend who went to see Warren 
um, and she never came home. And her and I broke up shortly after that. Okay. Because she was no good. I knew she was up to no good. I didn't know exactly what, but I knew it was worth breaking up over. Okay. So I'm at the Rainbow, and there's Janie Lane, one of the guys. And my older brother, of course, who's all about respect and things like that, is like, aren't you going to say something? Aren't you going to say something? Like, <laughs> kind of coaxing me. Like, you know, now he's calling me out. I've got to do something. Um, and I said something about, you know, my girlfriend going to the show and you fucking asshole. And he said something back kind of like, oh, yeah, not only did I fuck her, but the whole band did. <laughs> and at that point, he kind of had his back. I don't know if you've ever been there, but it's two stories. The disco floor, which is where I would hang out. That's okay. where Coke is my best. So, <laughs> he had his back to the stairs. We're probably like 40 stairs at the bottom, which is where the restaurant is. And like shortly after he said that, within moments, I just kind of did one of those, like reached my hands out and gave him a nice kick in the chest, <laughs> catapulted and rolled down the stairs. Uh-huh. Pretty much my experience with him. By yeah. that point, like security <laughs> saw what was going on and heard what he had said. And they were kind of like, eh, you probably shouldn't have said that. And just <laughs> wait. I'm not sure if they threw. Him. They probably didn't throw him out because he was Jenny Lane. Yeah, yeah. Took him somewhere safer for his well-being. <laughs> yeah, free um, biggest loser, Jenny Lane. Anyway, yeah. Um, okay. Oddly, though, I didn't know from Orlando, Florida. Oh, flash forward a couple years later. I'm in Orlando, Florida, visiting all my, you know, high school friends, most of which are like kind of jockey and rednecky. Right. And we're walking down a street in downtown. We look across the street and there's Janie Lane's Sunset Strip. Out comes Janie Lane. Oh. He's walking down the street and we're walking down the street, saw me, and literally crossed across to the other side. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I don't want to deal with this. Um, I don't yeah. want to get kicked Again. down. Any flight? Well, I don't know how many uh, flights of stairs Orlando has, but uh, I don't. Jordan, you got anything that can top that story? I don't. No. <laughs> in the studio for 15 years, I control everything. Nothing happens. <laughs> Man, uh, so I only get one gangbang story per episode, I guess. <laughs> Well, I, I, let me ask you. Let me ask each of you guys one more question before I let you go, because uh, I know you guys have fives. Uh, if I was to look through your, uh, your your music collection right now, whatever you're listening to music on, is there anything that I would find there that would be kind of surprising to me? Something I wouldn't expect? I know George's looking around like I got to find something. George Michael. Okay, that's yeah. That would, that's a little unexpected. Probably. I could think, I would think like, you know, a lot of the 60s and 70s stuff, like you, it wouldn't be a far stretch to think that I would like it. Cool old pop and normal run-of-the-mill rock bands and um, Rihanna. Oh, okay. So, uh, not this latest Rihanna record, but the previous one. Umbrella? That song? Um, yeah. yeah. That song is so good. That whole record, I can't believe no one bought that record. It's such a brilliant record. I'll, I'll have to check that out because I didn't buy it. That's that's a cool record. What about you, Jordan? Anything in, different, unusual? I know you've got a you well, got a wide palette. You, but um, 
I'll tell you who's amazing is uh, and whose record you guys should both check out. Who is teetering on the mainstream, but she's an old cat like us. She's Charlotte Gainsbourg. Oh yeah. Okay. Is spectacular from last year, 2017. Check it out, like when you hang out. I I did see. I don't know. Maybe maybe you would posted something about that, but I, that is familiar to me. I posted a bunch of songs a couple months ago when I first got into it because it just... In English? Um, it goes back and forth, but mostly English, yeah. I've heard uh, uh, my wife has a couple of her previous... She, like, really got into French-speaking music for a while, especially, like, older 60s uh, pop. Yeah, there's great, great stuff because you know, France didn't have the tradition of rock and roll, so they're sort of like unencumbered by the blues you know they don't have that tradition of like you know england and america in france they had no tradition of that of rock and roll they come at pop music from a different angle and it's um is this is it your canadian influence coming out with all the french artists or is it just uh, your, your wide palette well, my girlfriend's Quebecois, so I definitely am speaking. All right. Well, I, you know, I just did think of one more question I wanted to ask you, Jordan, that I had forgotten about. Is it tough to run a studio with two kids? Um, not when you're divorced, because mom takes most of the heavy lifting. <laughs> well, there you go. No, I just had two, I just had them here for two days, and like at Sydney Engineering, Cal. Remember, truly, yeah. Where Mark knows Robert Roth. Yeah. yeah. So uh, Robert has a new band called Little Spirits. Amazing. Hi, buddy. Valentine meets Patty Smith or something. He asked me to play drums on a track last week, and sent a text just as I was just about to go out. My kid was on the tractor outside. Saw this message, and it was like, "Oh, I, I saw on Instagram you have your drums. Bust out something quick today." And I was like, "I really want to do this." You know, the studio here—it's like built into the house and stuff. And this, when Dad goes into the control room, it's sort of like, "Oh, it's Dad's off photo mystery. Don't bother." Yeah, I was like, "Buddy, can you help me?" Of course, you know, nine-year-old kids know how to run computers better than we No problem. No problem. He, engin- he did his first engineering job on Rob. Make sure you get credit. credit. Absolutely. It'll be his second credit. He's he, uh, Sydney's on Mike's first album. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I guess before we let you go, where can people find you guys, uh, social media, if they want to follow you and follow uh, the music you're making? Kelly Scott and stuff or failure. All right. And that's two L's, two I's. Yeah. All right, Jordan. Uh, the most the most active blinker stuff going on is is probably on Facebook and uh, Spotify. So I would direct people there. A little bit of fun on Instagram, not too much. And uh, Twitter's a fucking dead zone out there. Awesome. All right, guys. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time tonight. Oh, one last thing. Check out it's Christine. Oh yes. Hey man, I, I I appreciate you guys coming on. If you guys ever want to come back on, just. Let me know together individually. Oh, we can get some more. See uh, you, We get some more back gangbang stories. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 